0: This is a Commitment 2020 special. The WLWT debates. Here now, Cherie Palella.
1: Good evening. Tonight we focus on one of the most powerful law enforcement positions in Hamilton County the prosecutor's office. Joining us tonight is Republican Joe Dieters. Mr. Dieters is an incumbent prosecutor a post that he's now held for a total of 23 years with a six-year break to serve as Ohio State Treasurer. He is a lifelong Cincinnatian graduate of St. X, the University of Cincinnati and UC's law school. He's the longest serving prosecutor in Hamilton County history. His opponent is Democrat Fanon Rucker. Now you may hear me call him Judge Rucker tonight. For 12 years he served on Hamilton County's municipal court. He's a former prosecutor and civil rights attorney. He's from Gary, Indiana and is also a graduate of UC's law school. Welcome to both of you and thanks so much for joining us here tonight as we kick off really this election season. Thank you. Now our time is limited here this evening so we do wanna move quickly to the opening statements from both of you. Judge Rucker, by virtue of a coin toss, you have won the first statement. You now have one one minute.
2: Thank you, Cherie. My name is Fanon Rucker. I'm a second generation judge, second generation prosecutor. I serve this community as a prosecutor, as a trial attorney practicing in federal and state court employment cases and civil rights and business litigation, class action lawsuits and individual actions. I served for almost 13 years as a judge hearing and deciding cases on issues that we're talking about specifically in this campaign. I retired from the bench last year, this time joined the Cochran firm and to run for prosecutor, because we deserve in this county a prosecutor who gives full-time attention to the important issues that we face. There are a lot of issues that are talked about in this campaign and will be talked about tonight, but I'm going to, with laser focus, help to lower our violent crime and support our neighborhoods and make them safer. I'm going to ensure that we eliminate cash bail for nonviolent offenses, and we're going to ensure people aren't sitting in prison for offenses they didn't commit because we're going to have a conviction integrity unit for
1: Thank you, and now to the opening statement from Joe Dieters. You have one minute as well.
3: Thank you, Cherie, for the invitation. And um, I have been the prosecutor for a while. The hallmark of my tenure as prosecutor when I first got there was to protect... Our victims and the first thing one of the first things I did was form a victim witness program for the Hamilton County Prosecutor's Office never been done before and it's been a great addition we have formed a sexual assault unit for women Um, and that is that is something I'm very proud of in terms of helping our victims of crime now that aside I support very much diversion for first-time offenders, nonviolent, that need a second chance. I helped form the first drug court in Ohio, and it's been a great success getting people back on their feet. More than anything that people can count on is I'm going to do the right thing, period. And whether it's a bad prosecutor, a bad cop, whatever, I'm gonna go and follow the law. All right, thank you.
1: All right, now to the question and answer portion of our debate tonight. Each of you, again, will have one minute to answer each of these questions. If I need to ask a follow-up question, you'll then have 30 seconds. So let's begin tonight with crime. On August 16th, 19 people were shot in 24 hours on Cincinnati streets. We had 356 shootings in all of last year. We've already had, I just checked this afternoon, 390 shootings to date this year. Now, I know that you're only the prosecutor, but if you were in charge, what would you do to solve this, the violence problem on our streets, the crime problem, the gun problem? Mr. Rucker, you have one minute.
2: You know, it's extremely concerning. Um, And and just let me say, I, I grew up in one of the toughest neighborhoods that our country has to offer. And so I personally understand the trauma of living in communities like that, of being afraid to go in your house and also afraid to come out. So I'm extremely focused and serious about how we address our violent crime. There's a couple of ways and initiatives that I have specifically that will do that. First of all, by eliminating cash bail for nonviolent offenses and doing what New Jersey did. New Jersey was a bipartisan effort to eliminate cash bail for nonviolent offenses. And they changed the focus of whether or not one stays in jail during the pendency of their case, not to how much money they have in their pocket, but it asked the question, and there are several facts they look at to determine what level of risk the person presents to the community. By changing the assessment tool and by eliminating cash bail for nonviolent offenses, they not only reduced their jail population, but they lowered their murder rate by 40% and they lowered their violent crime rate by 33%. That is one of the things I'm going to do to reduce violent crime in Hamilton County.
1: Mr. Rucker, thank you. Mr. Dieters, you have one minute.
2: We have been very,
3: very tough in my office on people who use firearms to commit crime. The reality is 15% of criminals in this country commit 85% of the crime. And the key for law enforcement, and has been for quite some time, is to identify what 15% we're dealing with and seek the longest possible sentences to get them off the streets. We work hand-in-hand with the U.S. Attorney's Office on a daily basis. There's a a assistant prosecutor in my office who is detailed and cross-designated as a U.S. Attorney so we can identify who these individuals are that are wreaking havoc on our community and get them off the street as long as possible.
1: So you think we're doing enough the way it is?
3: No, we're not doing enough. I think many times our police feel hamstrung. I feel like, um, they have not given the tools they need to do their jobs. And when you hear things like, well, we need to shift resources, we need to defund the police, we need to do this. No, we need to fund the police to recruit the best possible individual to be police officers, learn how to deescalate situations involving the public and um, the police. That's where the resources should go.
2: Mr. Rucker, would you like to? I absolutely would. First, let me say, and I'm unequivocal about it, have been since May, I do not support defunding the police. Second of all, when we talk about um, uh, the contact, I actually had uh, Chief Chief Isaac on with me this and I do these deep dives on ish initiatives. And actually, he says that 2% of a connected group of folks commit 80% of the crimes around here. And I was actually part of what's called Ceasefire Cincinnati. I was the judge that law enforcement, federal and state, and community workers, and we would bring in those who were part of the high-risk, violent of- offenders who were returning from the communities. And we would address them, identifying them, and also advise that uh, we had resources through the reentry program, which is also why I support a reentry court, in which we can reduce recidivism, in addition to keeping close and personal contact what we know is that since okay okay time (laughs) all right
1: thank you mr dieters you will have this next question first And the question is about protesters. 14 people were indicted after protests and violence erupted on our streets after the death of George Floyd, but hundreds more were arrested for curfew violations and also misdemeanors, which were all dismissed. Now, I have a two-part question, one for each of you. So, Mr. Dieters, I know that the city handled curfew violators. If they were your responsibility, would you have prosecuted all of them? We're talking about hundreds of people who nothing happened to. All
3: right, look, um, I would defend anyone's right to protest peacefully in our community. I would fight for them to have that right. When you go into, um, beyond protesting, you go into violence, arson, assault of our police officers, um, that's where we draw the line. And we did indict 14 offenders like that. Um, I, I, I think it's important to, to note that these people who violated curfew spent the night in the sheriff's parking lot. It wasn't very comfortable. And Mayor Cranley called me because they were inclined to dismiss these charges. And I, I don't have any authority over it because we don't handle city misdemeanors. And he asked me what I thought. And I said, John, you know, it's your call. Um, Time. But I think that spending a night in the sheriff's parking lot is pretty bad. Okay, simply put, then no. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Mr. Rucker, same question, but I want to elaborate here. Do you agree with dropping the charges against just curfew violations and what would you do with those more serious offenders who cause damage and, in some cases, violence on our city streets?
2: Well, first of all, let me say justice demands consistency, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. With regard to those who are violating curfew, the, the curfew violators, um, to the extent that they were demonstrating nonviolently, um, and, and I, I want to be honest, my understanding is that those charges are actually still pending there's a motion to dismiss that has not yet been uh, resolved so those charges as I understand have not yet been resolved Um, and there were several proposals have them do community service Um, have them uh, to, to you know, uh, engage in some other activities, and then the charges would be dropped. I would be in favor of that. I would have been in favor of, of that outcome. And if they sat a night in jail, unfortunately, as I was a judge, over hundreds of thousands of cases where people came into arraignment court after having sat in jail, they would enter pleas, sometimes getting charges that they may not necessarily have been guilty of, um, but I would have been in favor of of Moving responsibility and not having them prosecuted for curfew violations. With regard to violence, doing riots, absolutely um, prosecute them. However, there's a young lady who's accused not of threatening, of, of uh, attacking the police, but spitting out her gum, and she's facing felony charges. Uh, justice demands consistency.
1: All right, thank you. Time. Let's shift gears here and talk about the death penalty. Mr. Rucker, you oppose the death penalty, but what do you say to the families of the three women and two girls who were murdered by serial killer Anthony Kirkland here in Cincinnati? Why should his life be spared when theirs were not?
2: That's a, that's a tough issue and a tough question. And let me say that uh, Anthony Kirkland I know the details of that case. Um, I know the facts of it because I was the judge that the police officers came to to sign the warrants. I was the one that was the first entity in the in the system who understood the extent of his crimes. I was the judge that he stood across from as he entered his plea and I set his bond. So I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not insensitive to the significance of his actions nor the impact on those families. The issue is not about the fact that we need to punish individuals who threaten, harm, uh, torture members of our community. The issue is the injustice in the process of how we actually um, manipulate our criminal justice system to ensure that it's fair. What will I say to those families? That that person will never see the light of day, that that person needs to be locked under the jail, and we will protect communities and societies from him and people like him completely.
1: Thank you. So, Mr. Dieters, your opponent has criticized you for being a proponent of the death penalty, saying it costs too much money to keep uh, inmates on death row, and too often death row inmates are exonerated. If one person is put to death, is that not reason enough to do away with the death penalty? You have one minute.
3: Well, first of all, I tried the Anthony Kirkland case, and... um, uh, uh, A horrible serial killer in our community was removed and placed on death row. Um, My opponent um, doesn't believe in the death penalty, um, and he has his reasons, and that's fine. But here's the overreaching problem. Prosecuting attorneys are made and swore to uphold the law, not to determine what laws you want to enforce. If tomorrow I said, hey, you know, I think that domestic violence stuff is nonsense, I'm not gonna do that anymore. That's not my job. If I wanna change the death penalty, OR CHANGE THE MURDER STATUTES, RUN FOR SENATE, RUN FOR THE HOUSE, RUN FOR GOVERNOR. YOU DON'T RUN FOR PROSECUTOR AND DECIDE WHICH LAWS YOU'RE GOING TO PICK AND CHOOSE TO ENFORCE. MY JOB IS TO ENFORCE THE LAW, AND I, AS LONG AS I'M PROSECUTOR, WHETHER I LIKE IT OR NOT, I'M GOING TO ENFORCE IT. ALL RIGHT.
2: THANK YOU. May, MAY I RESPOND TO THAT? ABSOLUTELY. 30 SECONDS. So. What I'm hearing from my opponent is that the prosecutors do not have the ability to exercise discretion over what type of charges they, they proceed with and whether or not they decide to proceed with death penalty. There's a Columbia Law Review article that's been going around. It talks, it's a deep dive review of the death penalty charges specifically executed by my opponent from 1992 until 2017. And it talks about the fact that Hamilton County is responsible for the part of the 2% of more than half of the death penalty cases across the country and that there's a racial component to it. That's discretion exercised. And we can talk all day about the reason why, but there's discretion with the position of prosecutor. All
1: right, thank you, Time. Mr. Dieters, would you like to respond? if
3: the case if the facts fit our statute number one and there is not a proof problem we seek the death penalty period that's our standard that's going to be the standard i don't care what race you are or anything like that if you fit our death penalty statute and we don't have a proof issue we will seek the death penalty thank you
1: Right now, many people out there watching might not know this, but the Hamilton County Prosecutor's job is a part time job. Judge Rucker wants to make that a full-time position, he wants to change that. Considering the Hamilton County prosecutor prosecutes all felony and misdemeanor crimes committed by adults and all crimes committed by juveniles, should the prosecutor be allowed to take on private cases for extra money, why or why not? Mr. Dieters, you go first, one minute.
3: The classification as a part-time prosecutor is a payroll classification. I take a reduced salary, period. I probably work 70 to 80 hours a week being the prosecutor. That is my priority. And if you talk to my staff, they know that that's all I do 99.9% of the day. And do I have a private practice? Yes, it's very small. I I do take a less salary for it, but it doesn't take away from my commitment to being the prosecuting attorney of
2: Hamilton County. Thank
1: you, Mr. Rucker.
2: So there are some uh, foundational, I think, agreements that those of us who work in the system and in the community agree with. We generally agree that no one should be sitting in jail because they can't afford not to be there. We generally agree that innocent people should not be sitting in prison innocent of the charges for which they've been convicted. We generally agree that we want people who are returning, citizens who are returning from prison, to be successful when they return, to add to society instead of taking away. What we need is someone who is laser focused and intentional about how we address what we generally and foundationally agree about our system. I appreciate what Joe is saying about the fact that his private practice is small and it's a payroll issue, but at the beginning of his term, he literally submits a document saying he's part-time and has a part-time practice. I'm saying that these issues are big enough, and their county is 800,000 citizens in 50 neighborhoods and communities. Full-time attention is required.
1: Time. Would you like to respond? No. Okay. Let's talk about social justice. It has been such a hot button in our community and across the country. So aside from the criminal charges that we want to delve into a much deeper issue here about uh, the recent protests again, demonstrators say the system is weighted against minorities and black people in general. Uh, Do you believe that this is true is my first question. Why or why not? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Judge Rucker.
2: Well, let me say that uh, in 2000, well, actually in 1992, I I decided to go to law school because I saw riots break out after Rodney King's, uh, the officers involved in Rodney King's case were acquitted. In 2001, I was a civil rights attorney and representing individuals who had been on the uh, wrong end of uh, some police misconduct. And so I was out there representing uh, individuals and speaking and working on Cincinnati CAN to help bridge gaps and recognize inequities in our systems. In 2020, I was one of the folks who was out there among the protesters. I was speaking at their request. Um, Do I believe that our system has inequities in it? Absolutely. Um, I saw it from the inside as a judge. I saw it as a prosecutor. I experienced it as a lawyer advocating on behalf of people whose voices were not always heard. Uh, Again, my father was on the Indiana Supreme Court for almost 20 years. This is not anything that I think is generally misunderstood or disagreed about. What am I going to do? Be laser-focused on how we address those inequities.
1: Time. Thank you. Mr. Dieters?
3: Well, I agree with Fanon. I mean, I think there is legitimate problems in the system um, but getting back to my opening statement i said that the people of this community can depend on me to do what i believe is right even in the face of overwhelming criticism before mr floyd was murdered um you may remember this We had a UC police officer shoot and kill Sam Debose, And when I saw that tape, I felt it was murder. My assistants that run my criminal division thought it was murder. The grand jury thought, and this was before all these cases happened. So there was no political pressure directed towards me or my office. The only thing that was directed towards me was doing the right thing and i felt that sam was murdered i still feel that sam was murdered and and our office i personally tried that officer and um time i'm sorry go ahead
1: but i'm going to actually ask a follow-up here because you brought it up YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT THE TENSING CASE. AND right. uh, IN THAT CASE, THE TRIAL, IT WAS TRIED TWICE. IT ENDED IN A HUNG JURY TWICE. SO THEN MY NEXT QUESTION TO BOTH OF YOU IS, DOES THE JUDICIAL SYSTEM GO TOO FAR, HAVE TOO MANY PROTECTIONS FOR POLICE OFFICERS, PARTICULARLY THOSE INVOLVED IN DEADLY SHOOTINGS OF UNARMED SUSPECTS? MR. DETERS,
3: YOU RESPOND FIRST. Well, AS PROSECUTOR, YOU GOT TO BE VERY CAREFUL OF THIS, BECAUSE I THINK... It- maybe not today but 10 20 years ago police officers were giving given automatically by juries they were just flat believed um, I don't know that that's the case today that that that's happening I think people are looking closer what is going on um, but it it I to be honest it breaks my heart to see our community divided by race when a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. I think Fanon's trying to do the right thing. Time. And Thank I you. know our offices too. Thank you.
1: Judge Rucker, 30 seconds.
2: So th- the question is, whether or not there's too many protections. Um, and w- one of the things we get into in, in these uh, social justice questions is about qualified immunity and whether or not it provides too much protection. We've seen an evolution of responsibility and accountability, which is all that people were say- saying as they were marching through the streets. They want transparency and they want accountability. If I would be held responsible for doing this, then the law enforcement also ought to be held responsible in the same way for doing what I would do wrong. Um, too many protections. I don't know about too many, but certainly we need to review how much protection they do have.
1: All right time. Thank you. This is the last question for both of you. Both of you have been in public service for decades, either as prosecutors or judges or Mr. Dieters, also when you were the treasurer for the state of Ohio. Name one thing that you are proudest of and one thing that you regret most. Mr. Dieters, one minute.
3: Well, I absolutely am uh, proudest of the victim witness unit that we developed in this county. It was the first one ever. Um, I have to tag that along with, our development of all of our diversion programs. We have more diversion programs in Hamilton County than any county in Ohio, trying to get people who need help out of the system and get the help they need to be productive citizens. In terms of what I regret, um, I never thought I would see the day where um our community is so divided, and it's it's a heartbreaking thing for me to see because a lot of people in the system are working very hard, as Fanon said, to make this thing transparent. Uh, what's happening in Louisville, I'm going to take this very quickly, the Attorney General of Kentucky, he needs a court order to release that grand jury. And if I was the Attorney General, I would go to the judge and say, I agree, let him see what we did. Let him... Check
2: it out. We've done it in cases here in Hamilton County.
1: Time. Thank you. Judge Rucker?
2: We agree. I would also release the transcript uh, in that case because that's how you help build trust in the community uh, and with the the people. What do I regret most? I'll I'll start with that. What I regret most is not running for Judge Sooner because it was absolutely wonderful. I loved presiding over cases and helping to provide people that measure of justice that our Constitution provides and that we read about and that we believe that we're entitled to. What I'm most proud of um, truly is my time as a public servant. So I make the distinction to those I mentor and I say there's a difference between a public servant and a public official. A public official is somebody that you see when they're running for office. They come to your churches and they make promises during the time they're running. But you don't see them at other times. A public servant is somebody who's there in the community before they decide they want to run for office. And even if they're not successful, they're there making a difference. They're there helping to create initiatives in the community. They're there helping to give advice to make things better because it's the right thing to do. I'm most proud. That my time is about being a public servant and me being your prosecutor is the continuity of that public service
1: we are out of time here so that brings us to our closing statements and again decided by a coin toss mr rucker you have one minute
2: sheree thank you so much for hosting this channel 5 Uh, it is so uh, uh, wonderful that you all put on this public information uh, effort well i hope ladies and gentlemen that the uh, picture is clear we have issues and disparities in our system. We have what we all recognize are foundational concerns that, that need to be addressed. What we need and what I have given my entire career to is helping to make our system better. I haven't only tried cases in federal court and state court. I haven't only represented victims in criminal cases and as, even as the judge ensuring that people's rights were protected. But I have absolutely been committed to the ends of justice. You're going to hear and see a lot of stuff, um, particularly about me, that paints an absolute incorrect picture. I encourage you, FanonRucker.com. Take a look for yourself, FanonRucker.com. Go to my Facebook page and look at the videos where we talk about the background and the history. FanonRucker.com. Justice for all.
1: Time. Thank you. Mr. Dieters, you have one minute for closing statements.
3: Well, I agree that... um Fanon was a good judge, and I think you should have run for judge this year. (laughs) (laughs) But 16 years ago, um, Fanon and I ran against each other. We debated at Xavier University. And the last thing I said to the audience that night was, if your daughter or your mother or your sister or your husband or brother is murdered tonight, who do you want to try the case? Someone who's done dozens, if not hundreds, of murder cases, including five serial killers, um, or do you want someone who's never tried a felony? And I think that the answer is you want the experience um, of someone that has done it before, and. Um, I I just hope that people look at experience and what it means to the justice system.
1: Thank you both for being here as we kick off this election season much more civil than the presidential debate last night. You were both very great. Coming up next, my co-anchor Mike Dardas with the candidates for Hamilton County Sheriff. That's coming up right after the break. Thanks for being here.
0: Accuracy. It matters in everything you do. Your GPS needs to be accurate. Take a left on your taxes need to be accurate. And your dentist needs to be accurate. You choose accuracy every day. And for an accurate forecast, choose WLWT Weather. It's the only forecast in Cincinnati independently certified most accurate. Nine years in a row and counting. Accuracy does matter. Choose accuracy. Choose WLWT Weather. You're watching a Commitment 2020 special, the WLWT Debates. Here now, Mike Dardis. And welcome back, everybody. Now we turn our focus to one of the most closely watched local races, the battle for Hamilton County Sheriff. We want to start by introducing the candidates. We have here Republican Bruce Hofbauer. Mr. Hofbauer served in a number of roles with the Cincinnati Police Department for more than 30 years. He is a native of Hamilton County, graduated from Elder High School and the University of Cincinnati and currently lives in Green Township. His opponent, Democrat Charmaine McGuffey, Ms. McGuffey, also a Hamilton County native, graduated from Western Hills and also from UC. She worked for 33 years with the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. So welcome to both of you Tonight, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Mike. Should Thank be a you, good Mike. should be a good one. So our time is limited tonight. We want to move quickly to our opening statements from both of you. Mr. Hoffbauer, by virtue of a coin toss, you have the first opening statement and you have 2 minutes. Again,
4: thanks, Mike. Good evening, everyone. I am Bruce Hoffbauer, and I will be your next Sheriff of Hamilton County. I want to be clear that this job of sheriff is not something that is an on-the-job training type of job. You have to have the experience to lead the men and women in that agency and lead the Sheriff's Office with the community. That's what I have as experience. I have 34 years of experience with the Cincinnati Police Department where I retired as a lieutenant. All of that time was in uniform patrolling the streets of Cincinnati, so I have a very good understanding of what's happening on the streets and exactly what the community needs. The idea of public safety is not something new to me. This, I have a deep history with my family with public service. My father, Ray Hoffbauer, is a retired colonel from the Hamlin County Sheriff's Office. My wife, Patty, is a retired police officer from Cincinnati. My daughter, Katie, my little girl, Katie, is a police officer right now with the city of Cincinnati, patrolling the streets, keeping all of us safe today. And my son, Jake, is a Cincinnati firefighter, also keeping us safe every day. So this role and this run for sheriff is probably the most important sheriff's race in our history. We are one voting cycle away from being a place like Seattle, Portland, Chicago, and New York. And as your sheriff, I cannot allow that to be the case here in our beloved Cincinnati and Hamilton County. This sheriff's race is going to come down to a couple things. Honesty, integrity, accountability, safety, and security the office of sheriff should not be something that is used as a political platform to push out someone's own personal agendas but it should be used and i will do that when i'm your sheriff To provide equal treatment and follow the rule of law as I serve as sheriff. So I believe I have all the box checked the experience to be your next sheriff of Hamilton County and that's why I believe I'm the best candidate and I will be the best sheriff of Hamilton County.
0: Mr. Hopper thank you so much. Opening statement now Ms. McGuffey.
5: Thank you Mike and thank you to WLWT and thanks to everyone for tuning in. I was born and raised right here in Cincinnati and I grew up in Price Hill and as a young girl I decided I wanted to be a police officer and I was told women can campy cops. But you know, I continue to pursue my dream. I went to Western Hills High School. I attended the University of Cincinnati. I achieved a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, and I joined the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. And in my 33-year career with the Sheriff's Office, I worked in every facet of the criminal justice system and the Sheriff's Office. And that is from being the commander of the jail academy to the lead hostage negotiator of our SWAT team. I was promoted by three different sheriffs. rose in rank from sergeant, lieutenant, captain, and then major. And in that role as major, the only woman, by the way, to hold that position, I commanded two of the largest divisions in the sheriff's office with some 600 uniformed personnel, the care and custody of 1,400 prisoners, and also managed a budget of $36 million. And I balanced that budget. I have over 100 commendations in my career, and that's a testament to my ability to get job done and do the job well you know before i became major our jail was ranked the worst jail in the state of ohio under my leadership i brought that jail up to the best ranking jail in the state of ohio and you know when i saw excessive use of force i demanded accountability even though it cost me my job. And I, as sheriff of Hamilton County, will make certain that I do the right things and put public safety as my top priority. Everyone's safety, no matter the color of their skin or the neighborhood they live in. I am the endorsed Democratic candidate. I'm proud to be so. I'm proud to be a woman, the first woman, to run for sheriff in Hamilton County. And I thank you all very much and I hope to earn your vote tonight. All right.
0: Thank you so much, both of you. Now we want to get to the question and answer portion of the debate. Each of you will have one minute to answer each question. I won't be rude if you go a little bit over, but we'll try to keep it to time. So that's why I'll jump in over a minute. If I need to ask you a follow up, uh, we'll each give you 30 seconds for that. So here we go. Uh, During the recent unrest in Cincinnati, Sheriff Jim Neal took a knee with protesters outside of the courthouse. And many police officers have spoken out against the conduct of police officers involved in George Floyd's death in Minneapolis what is your position on the protests and would you have taken a knee? Ms. McGuffey we start with you.
5: I'll start out by saying you know the death of George Floyd was so tragic and our our nation witnessed that death and what it brought to light is the fact that we need officers to be accountable we need leadership that believes in accountability and transparency and as far as taking a knee I think that being in solidarity with the community I would was down there at the protest, and I tell you, I had difficult conversations with people. I watched people. I wanted to know and learn what was going on, because that's the only way we are actually going to change this system, that we are going to bring true criminal justice reform to our region and to the nation, is to embrace the fact that we have to have conversations, and we have to join together. I knelt in prayer at that protest. There was a prayer said, and I certainly did kneel for that. And I do not believe that it is out of my uh my realm or my responsibility to kneel with people who have egregious things happen to them you know people of color people who have not been treated well and i will bring accountability to that sheriff's office as your next sheriff
0: all right thank you so much Uh, your position sir on the protests and uh, would you have taken a knee like sheriff Neal? well i do echo what my opponent said the death of George Floyd was was horrible it
4: was very difficult to watch so we do agree on that Uh, the protest that happened in Cincinnati what I did not like was I felt like the city of Cincinnati was being painted with a broad brush of something that happened far away from here Cincinnati made tremendous strides and I was part of that in 2001 with the collaborative agreement here in Cincinnati to build bridges and make bonds with the community And I felt that Cincinnati did not fit the mold of what happened in Seattle and so is is you talk about taking a knee. I agree, I would kneel in prayer. But in this event, I believe as a law enforcement executive, someone who's been out there in the streets and in the riots, which I have. My opponent's never been in the riots, so for her to go down there, it might have been somewhat of a novelty. But I think the beauty of our country is that we all have a right to choose. And I stand with Sheriff Neal, I stand with the police chief. If they decided to take a knee, that's their option. I would have removed myself and been the law enforcement executive so
0: I could control the scene. But I stand with their choice to do that. That's absolutely right. Question two goes to you, alternate uh, accordingly. Do you believe that the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department has issues with systemic racism or systemic discrimination against anyone and what reforms do you believe if any are needed within the department? I don't think the
4: Sheriff's Office has a problem with systemic racism. Systemic racism does occur, let's be let's be frank. It does occur in our society and in police agencies. So my job as a sheriff is to root that out. Um, my opponent was in that position, and if she saw that, she was in a command position, if she saw that in the Sheriff's Office, it should have been identified some long time ago. Um, but the idea of finding out if there is any systemic racism in your agency is your job as the Chief Executive officer and finding it and getting getting rid of it. There is no place for that. And I think the best way to build bridges is to be in touch with your, your employees and the people. Make yourself accessible to your employees. Make yourself accessible to the community. Police officers cannot do this all by ourselves. We have to have the help of the community. So we have to get out and I will be out in the community where I spend 34 years out in the streets of the city and the county and I will be in the corrections part of the of the Justice Center and I will work with the folks in there to find out if there are any bad apples. And if they are, they
5: will be removed immediately. Question about racism and uh, what reforms, if any, you would tackle? Certainly. I spent 33 years in the sheriff's office and there has been systemic racism that has occurred in that office. My opponent doesn't know it because he didn't work there. I did. I've seen justice and I've seen injustice and it has always been my goal, particularly as the major. I sought to remedy those situations and in fact I did speak out. I spoke out against excessive force 2014. I spoke out about it in 2015, I spoke out about it in 2016 and then I I was fired from my job because I demanded accountability from certain people in that department so that we can have a criminal justice system that is truly just. And yes, I have been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. I did go down to the protests while my opponent stayed home and watched it on TV. It's important to show up as a law enforcement leader. You have to be there regardless of whether you think you're above it or not
4: next question you want to follow up go ahead I do and so the reason I did not go down to the to the riots is I will not condone as a sheriff or citizen of the breaking of property assaulting people blocking roadways criminal activity I stand with protesters when they hold signs and they use their First Amendment free speech but I was in the riots and I just want my opponent to be very clear Putting myself down there with rioters and protesters does nothing but muddy the waters for the law enforcement executives trying to maintain order. So I didn't have to go down there. I've been there. She never has. You get 30
0: seconds if you want.
5: Thank you. I did not attend riots i attended peaceful protest and that was my purpose of being there was to advance our peaceful conversation was to join with peaceful people who want to make change in our criminal justice system in the right way i did not attend any riots i attended peaceful protests
0: let's focus next question to you ms mcguffey uh it's been obviously a year to forget when it comes to violent crime, a lot of things, but violent crime here in our county, Hamilton County in Cincinnati with all these shootings. I remember one weekend we had nearly 20 shootings in just the one weekend. Uh, So you're obviously just one person and you would be representing just one department. But if I gave you a magic wand, so to speak, and I told you you could be everybody for a day, what would you do as a thinking person to solve this issue in Hamilton County? I know you can't do it by yourself,
5: but if I gave you that power, what would you do? The first thing I would do is reach out to the community. I would reach out to community leaders and I would ask them, what do they think and how can we solve this problem? Because they have those relationships. They're long standing members of their communities. And when they have violence or things go wrong in their community, those are the people we need to ask. How can we solve this? And then when they give you ideas about how to solve things, you have to be a fearless leader and embrace those ideas. You have to say, these are things that we're going to try. And it may be something outside the box and I hope it is because right now our criminal justice system is stuck in status quo we are absolutely going backwards unless we start embracing what we can do with the community for our children for our community agencies for people who are incarcerated and certainly the safety of our citizens on the street and I think when we address it in that way we create safer communities because people are going to join together and have a buy-in for that.
0: Mr. Hoffbauer, you have a minute. How would you solve, again, one person, one department if you were elected, but if I gave you the ultimate power, what would you do to fix this problem in Hamilton County and Cincinnati?
4: Well, I would draw on my experience, as I said before. Uh, one of the things that my opponent brought up, and, and you mentioned about shootings, I would have to ask her how many shooting scenes she's been to in her career. I've been to countless homicides, violent crimes, uh, gun violence out there in the streets of the city. And so I've been there firsthand, and I agree that we have to work with the community but we have to invest if I have this power to invest monies invest training to the men and women out there in law enforcement we have to use good data to find out and seek out the most violent of offenders and use our data to use laser precision to find out the most violent of offenders and we have to do that because we need to protect and provide safety and security for our citizens here in Hamilton County so having a lot of of officers on the street is great but using good data driven information information working with the community building that bridge and then using that information to go out and find the most violent of offenders that's how you find out
0: who's causing the crime in the city When it comes to this next issue, I don't think in 30 years of broadcasting I've ever seen a more divisive issue. And this is this coronavirus issue, but especially the mask mandate. So obviously in Ohio, there's a mask mandate in all indoor public places, outdoors if you cannot socially distance. In Butler County, the sheriff there, Richard Jones, famously said recently, we are not the mask police. So question to you, should government be involved in regulating that? Uh, And do you agree with Sheriff Jones that you're not the mask police? I do agree with Sheriff Jones because it's an
4: unrealistic thing to enforce. Right now in Hamilton County and really across this state and country, there's so much violence going on that that's where we need to focus our energies on our and our uh, investment. Not taking anything away from the pandemic with what's happening with the coronavirus. But I think it becomes also a personal responsibility. The masks are important and there is some re- regulation with business owners, restaurants to not allow people into their establishments without masks. But I think it's it's not a good use of resources to put law enforcement folks out there to enforce people who are not wearing their masks or are not social distancing. I believe the uh, police chief Elliot Isaac even said that the Cincinnati Police Department wasn't going to do that. They have more officers than the Hamlin County Sheriff's Department does and there's no way to enforce that. So I think it goes back to providing some, some responsibility on the individual while at the same time business owners and restaurant owners and bar owners take the initiative and not allow people in unless they follow the rules.
0: Ms. McGuffey, uh, mask mandate. Should you be playing a role in uh, making sure people are doing the right thing?
5: rather than use the word enforcement, I'd like to use the word cooperation because I think there are so many agencies in Cincinnati that hold a um, that hold a responsibility to help us with this. And that's the health department and that's certain city agencies and county agencies as well as the sheriff's office. And I'll say this, I think we do it by um, example, quite honestly, you know, my opponent says, well, the, the men and women out on the street don't have to wear masks. Well, the sheriff's department has and women in the jail in the courthouse in very close proximity with people who have to live there and be there for a long time and some of them may be sick and I will enforce the fact that we need to lead by example and certainly I will I will wear a mask and I'll require the officers in the jail to wear a mask and officers in the courthouse when it's appropriate to wear a mask you know and when it's appropriate to wear a mask for our law enforcement people I think it sends a good message to the community uh, so again rather than enforcement cooperation
0: okay let's talk a little bit about uh... this controversial phrase that i think is really often misunderstood and that's defunding the police when people hear that some people think "Oh, you take all the money away from the police or get rid of the department most folks don't mean that they mean moving money around for example some people are critical saying that they should move money around to support mental illness in something like that in, a, in an area like that would you support moving department budget money to fund some form of mental health task force or or something like that? Or do you think uh, things are good the way they are?
5: Well, I certainly think we need to change some things. I mean, that's exactly why this race is so important. You know, we can embrace mental health and mental illness and social services within our police department without ruining our budget. You know, I brought reform programs to that jail is the major of the jail. And they were they were programs that were incredibly successful and moved people along that had mental illness, that had addiction, that had housing issues. And I did that without costing the taxpayers a dime. And I think there are people out there in our mental health agencies who want to come in and help us. And I don't think we need to spend a huge amount of money when we just embrace the people of the community and we listen to what they have to say. I want to fund the police. I absolutely do not want to defund the police. I think we need the police and quite frankly we have very, very good police officers. Excellent deputies. I've worked with them. I love them. They've been my colleagues for years and I absolutely think that we can strengthen in other ways.
0: Mr. Hoffbauer, your turn to answer that same question, the topic of defunding the police would you be okay with moving money around if it were to support something like mental illness? Just in general, your reaction to that term. Well,
4: first, I, I want to say that I am 100% against defunding of the police or even this people safety reimagined concept that came up here in the city. I was very quick and said right away, as soon as this topic came up, that I was 100% against it. Now, my opponent didn't do that. She wavered on it and waited for a while and waited for a while. But I agree that we can move some monies within the organization and that's done with the budget. Uh, You have to invest in the men and women in law enforcement. You have to invest in the training. And you have to look at the budget and decide what is nice to have and what is necessary. Uh, The sheriff's office has to look at what is necessary first. The the nice to have things have to be set aside. You have to invest in recruitment to find the best diverse workforce that can come into the agency. And you have to create this collaborative process where I will have people inside the organization working directly with the community. So all that takes money. It all depends on where the money is. I'm absolutely for mental health issues, social services, working with the sheriff's office, and working in that budget. And I would do
0: that in the sheriff's office. And I would do it without costing extra money to the taxpayers. Okay, Mr. Hoffbauer, next topic goes to you. And it's the heroin epidemic. Obviously, in the state of Ohio, the numbers are astronomical uh, off the charts. uh, And this epidemic is far from over. We've seen various models at work and how to address this on the street from departments that have had a tough approach. Uh, We've talked about jail time and no jail time. Coleraine Township has uh, their own way of looking at things. The quick response team pioneered there. Uh, What would be your solution? What would you do out on the streets to to fight the heroin epidemic? And I have been on the
4: streets and I have, unlike my opponent, I have spent time on the streets and I have fought the heroin epidemic. I've seen folks with needles in their arms and I have had to administer Narcan to people to save their lives. And so I think the best thing for law enforcement to do right now is to work on not not what the symptom is, is when they are in the jail, but what the causative factor is out in the street. So that's where I want to build some relationships, additional relationships with community leaders and groups outside of the walls of the Justice Center, outside of the doors of the police car to find out the causative factors that are making individuals constantly reoffend, reoffend with this heroin. I think that once an individual is inside the Justice Center, then we're going to provide some great treatment programs inside there to create safe safe pathways out. And then once individuals are out of jail, then we do follow up with places like block ministries, uh, with the change court. Those types of things are important. And I think that law enforcement has to think
0: not outside of the box, but free of the box. Okay, now we have Charmaine Mayan McGuffey, same question. What do you do about this heroin epidemic?
5: Well, the first thing I'd like to say is my opponent has never managed a budget. In fact, he said four different times to the Cincinnati Inquirer, he has no idea what he's gonna do. Everyone's supposed to wait and see when he gets there. But I can tell you this, I can stand on my record of what I did do, and that was create a women's heroin recovery program. That program was so successful that the attorney general's office sent people down to preview it. There are still 15 women that I know of personally who went through that program and have remained sober and are now productive citizens out in our society. And you know I think my opponent has a very narrow view when he talks about we're gonna focus on enforcement. Again, the Sheriff's Office is multifaceted. You have to have an expertise, not just in enforcement, but also in the jail and in the courthouse and all of the different functions that the Sheriff's Office touches, which is varied and many. And you have to have had experience in managing that budget, bringing those programs In just as I did, the men's exit program and also the men's veterans program.
0: Once they're in, you want to follow up to that? She had some accusations there. Go ahead. So I just want to make something clear.
4: Uh, I'm not, in that question, I did not focus on enforcement. My focus was what the causative factors were outside of the jail so we could get ahead of the uh, the problem of heroin use and and overdoses. And when it comes to the budget, uh, I have managed budgets in the Cincinnati Police Department, Uh, maybe not an $80 million budget as the sheriff's department had, but neither did my opponent. She was given a small portion of that to manage
5: and um, I don't think she did a very good job at it. So 30 seconds back. I don't think $36 million is a small portion. And I think when somebody continually says, wait and see when I get there, I'll check it out when I get there. I'll let you know what we're gonna do. I'm not really sure. Maybe the county commissioners can decide whether we need a new jail or not. I don't know yet. And that's the person you're gonna hand your $80 million budget to. I absolutely think you need a plan. I can articulate a plan, I have articulated the plan, citizens review board, liaison uh, unit, I'm gonna do a number of things.
0: This is kind of a thing I like to do at the end of debates, so just bear with me here. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot, you first, then you, and then we'll wrap things up. Sure. If you were introducing your opponent at a charity event, you had to say something nice about your opponent. This has been a tame debate, by the way, by comparison to to a lot of others I've seen. You You have a,
5: a minute to talk about Mr. Hoffbauer, what would you say that's positive. You've known each other a long time. We have, and I've known Bruce. Oh, my gosh. I was I was one of Bruce's supervisors when he came through as a probationary officer all those years ago. And, uh, you know, what I would say is I'm glad that he's had a successful career. I'm glad and thankful that uh, he's been out there with Cincinnati Police, that he's worked in that job. And I, I think it's certainly admirable for all of us who have made it to those those phases where we're still healthy and we can retire and uh you know i appreciate i appreciate his service i certainly do all right you have a full minute to say something positive if you want about your opponent Well, of course,
4: positive is good. So yeah, I've known Charmaine for 35 years. We started our careers around the same time at the old workhouse that's torn down. So we had a good working relationship, and we got along famously. We were friends. I moved on after I spent, to go back on something, I spent a year and a half in the Justice Center and at the old workhouse that's torn down. So I had some experience in corrections. And that's how um, my opponent says that she was my supervisor. So I, too, will commend her for her years of service. I know she was dedicated to the Sheriff's Office for 30 plus years, as I was to Cincinnati for over 34 years. but I have to remind her that she was not my supervisor, although she was a supervisor in another part of the of the building. I was a corrections officer in a separate place. But uh, through this, we have had some healthy debates. We've had some disagreements. But as I said to her on a Zoom meeting the other day, I think at the end of the day, we'll, we'll still remain friends. We disagree on a lot of things. I believe I'm the best candidate for sheriff. And I think she'll agree with me on that.
0: <laughs> I'm not so sure. Uh, November 3rd, the folks right there behind that camera, they will be going out either voting by mail or at the polls you have an opportunity to address those folks closing statements here and by virtue of the coin toss your closing statement is first mr. Hoffbauer thank you so as I said when I started this this
4: this debate this discussion was all about a couple different things honesty integrity and accountability I think you'll see between my opponent and myself there is a stark difference on our approaches and our views about running and managing the sheriff's department mine comes from not only working in the justice center in the workhouse, but also 34 years on the street with people in the community that goes outside of the four walls of the uh, justice center. My opponent never worked patrol. Directing traffic at a detail or checking someone to see if their anchor ankle bracelet is on during probation. That doesn't count. Um, but again, I think my record speaks to uh, my honesty and integrity. Again, my opponent, uh, her her record speaks for itself. It's well documented. She was fired from the sheriff's office after 31 counts of creating hostile work environment and dishonesty. And I think when you go back, you'll realize I'm the best candidate. My record is is unblemished. She was fired for dishonesty. That can't be the person who runs a sheriff's office
0: okay miss mcguffey the last at bat for you
5: thank you very much mike and thank you all uh let's be very clear I was fired from the sheriff's office because I called out excessive use of force, sexual harassment of female officers and female prisoners. I demanded accountability and I was told to stand down. I was told to be quiet and I refused to do that because as your next sheriff, I will always do the right thing to keep your community safe and to keep you safe, no matter your color, or the neighborhood you grow up in. And, you know, I will say my opponent continues to distract by talking about my record, which, by the way, is an accomplishment in and of itself. I brought that jail from the worst jail to the best jail in the state of Ohio. I managed a multi-million dollar budget, and I won awards as police officer of the year in doing so. My opponent takes a page out of the Trump playbook, and he continues to criticize me for something he knows as sheriff I Will enforce that officers speak up when they see wrongdoing.
0: All right. Thanks to both of you, Charmaine McGuffey and Bruce Hoffbauer, also Joe Dieters and Fanon Rucker, the prosecutor battle. Keep watching WLWT for the latest on this election coverage.